sheep. You guys are quick, right? There were sheep everywhere. It seemed like every time you turned to look on the, in the hillsides, there were sheep everywhere. I, since returning, I've learned that there are over 3.5 million sheep in Ireland. Sheep are interesting creatures, and yet I wonder how much we really know about sheep. So this morning, I want to educate you just a little bit on sheep, all right? And to do that, we're going to try to make it a little interactive fun, okay? Some of you are like, oh, no, why am I here, right? No, but um, we're, we're going to take this, this, this little quiz, all right? It's a true-false quiz, so you've got a 50-50 shot every time, and I'm going to ask you to answer them by raising your hand if you think it's true or false, all right? Here we go. True or false, sheep have a three-chamber stomach to assist in breaking down what they eat. How many of you say that's true? How many of you say that's false? Okay, well, if you're false, you got to own it. Raise your hand if you think it's false. You are correct. You get a point, right? The, the correct answer is four. See how dirty pool I play? This is the way I play this game, all right? Number two, sheep have excellent peripheral vision, approximately 300-degree vision. How many of you think that's true? How many think that's false? If it's false, own it. Come on. Here we go. Give your hands up and it's false, you're wrong. It's actually true, okay? All right, there you go. Number three, sheep horns are made up of the same material as our fingernails. Well, you don't even know what I'm going to ask. How many of you think that's true? Okay, how many of you think it's false? Again, false people own, you're wrong. It's true, okay? There you go. Um, in New Zealand, they have approximately five sheep per human. Five sheep per human. True? Yeah, I've got commentary over here. There's nothing in New Zealand. In New Zealand. It's got, okay, how many say it's false? False people. False people, you're correct. The correct answer is actually seven, which is down from 22 per human in 1982. Just fascinating facts. Last one. Sheep have scent glands on their feet. True? Like seven brave people saying, I'm going to go with that. False? It's actually true. Uh, yeah, you can't make those things. Okay, so now, how many of you got at least one right? Raise your hand, be proud. How many of you got two right? Keep them up there. Three or more? Four or more? Uh, some people are like, uh, maybe five. Anybody get all five right? We got like two people. That are claiming, Dave, uh, you get all those right? So Dave, here's what, you win the prize, here's what you get to do. Keep your hand up. Reach over here like this. There you go. <laughs> Nicely done. All right, so that's the prize. That's, that's what he wins. For, yeah, good job, Dave. Um, sheep are really interesting creatures, right? And what we've learned about them is that they need someone like a shepherd to take care of them. Of all the domesticated animals, sheep are the most helpless. Sheep will spend their entire day grazing, uh, wandering from place to place, never looking up. And as a result, they often become lost. They also have no homing instinct, as other animals do. They are totally incapable of finding their way to the sheepfold, even when it's in plain sight. They just, what is that over there, right? They've got great vision, but they can't see anything, if that makes any sense, right? By nature, sheep are followers. If the lead sheep steps off the edge of a cliff, all the rest of the sheep are going to follow. Additionally, sheep are easily susceptible to injuries and are utterly helpless against predators. 
If a wolf attacks them, they won't defend themselves. They won't try to run away, and they really don't spread out. They kind of scatter a little bit, but they don't, like, run away. They make it really easy for the wolf to just destroy the whole flock of them. Sheep are totally dependent upon the shepherd who tends them with care and compassion. Shepherds are the providers and the guides and the protectors and the constant companion of the sheep. The shepherd would lead them out to safe places to graze and make them lie down for several hours in the hottest part of the day in the shade so that they don't get overheated. Then as night falls, the shepherd leads the sheep into the protection of the sheepfold or the pen as we talked about last week. So when Jesus says in John chapter 11, or John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, he's really talking about his ability to lead, his authority to lead, and his desire to lead the sheep. And what we see in this text that we're going to read this morning is is Jesus focused on two primary things. He he focuses in on his relationship with the other shepherds, and he focuses in on his relationship with the sheep. So let's look at this text together. We're going to read John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. It says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now this is a really powerful text and there's lots of things to unpack. We're just going to get a few of them this morning. But one of the things that would be helpful for us as we seek to understand is Jesus' statement, the statement about Jesus being the good shepherd, is that he's making a statement about more than just who he is. He's connecting who he is with what the people would have known and been looking for from the Old Testament scriptures and from the prophets. Scriptures like Jeremiah 23, 2 through 4, which pop up there on the screen. I'm not going to read all of it, but it's it basically God promises to regather the scattered people of Israel by being the good shepherd. In Ezekiel chapter 34, a text we looked at last week, God promises to look after his sheep. He promises to regather them and to take care of them and to care for the injured and the weak and treating them with justice. We see in uh, Psalm 23 that, that we read earlier, right? We, we see that familiar psalm where the, the shepherd is described as feeding and leading and protecting the sheep all the time. Jesus is the good shepherd. There, there are some of the, these are some of the scriptures that the people probably would have brought to their minds when Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And these are the scriptures that are helpful as we look at Jesus and his claim to be the good shepherd, and and we compare that to other shepherds of the time. If we return again to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, we see this clearly. There we see God is calling out against the shepherds who are only concerned about their own well-being and not the rest of the sheep. He's saying, in the text that, that you take care of yourself and 
You don't take care of the flock. You don't take care of the sheep, which is what you're called to do. Jesus says it like this, and we read it, but I want to read it again. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what's he do? He abandons the sheep, runs away. Then the wolf attacks. The flock scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand. And how much does he care for the sheep? Nothing, right? Look at the action words that are in that. He sees trouble and leaves. He flees. He cares for nothing except his own self-preservation. An example of this that came to mind for me as I was kind of reading through this was uh, the difference between the store owner and the employee of the store. Uh, two different things. If, if an employee is working and someone comes in with two minutes left in the time before they're supposed to close, what's the employee going to do? Oh, no, I'm sorry, we're closed, right? Whereas the owner will bring the person in and take care of them and, and meet their needs. The same way, if an owner is there and someone comes to rob the place, probably going to stand up and try to defend, whereas an employee is going to be like, oh, not mine, you know, take whatever you want, right? It's the difference between ownership and employee, between ownership and, and just having to be there. The reason for, for this is, is because it's, it's personal. And for the other, it's a job. The hired hand is not like the thieves and robbers that we talked about last week uh, in verses 1, 8, and 10. The thief and the robber are trying to do harm, right? We talked about that. But, but the hired hand is just more concerned about self than the sheep. And I think that's the point Jesus is trying to make with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had not shown any interest in the sheep, right? If you go back just in the Gospel of John, you see that they didn't show any concern for the lame man that Jesus healed in John chapter 5. They were ready to condemn the woman who was caught in adultery that we read about in John chapter 8. They didn't believe the testimony of the formerly blind man that we read about in, in John chapter 9, who very simply said, you know, I was blind, but now I see. And their response to him was they threw him out of the synagogue. They didn't seem to care about the people that were under their care. They didn't care about the sheep. They were more worried about protecting their own position and their own power and their own self-interest. They were, in short, just like a hired hand. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you're not good to the people. You don't serve the people. You don't care about the people. You don't desire to help or provide for the people. Jesus is saying, that's who you are, but I am the good shepherd. In his commentary on this text, Dr. Cruz said, the good shepherd was more than just a claim to do what the national leaders of his day failed to do. It was a claim to be one with the Father who is the good shepherd of his people. Jesus is the good shepherd, a claim he makes again in verse 14. Uh, look at the text again. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And he continues through that text talking about his relationship with the Father and how that impacts his relationship with the sheep. And from this text, I want to point out three characteristics of Jesus, three things uh, as a good shepherd and how those impact our lives here today. The first thing we see is this, that Jesus, as the good shepherd, is relational, all right? And if you want to jot these down, if that helps you to take notes, great. If not, don't. But if that's helpful uh, for your retention, then I invite you to do that. Jesus is relational. Look again at the second half of verse 14. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. 
I think it's interesting that Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It points to the two-way relationship that is available for us with Christ. Jesus knows and loves us. And we can know and love him in return. And, and as we respond to his love in faith, we grow in our relationship with God. We, we take that next step in our faith. Through Christ, we are able to grow. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to thrive in him and in that relationship with him. Uh, Dr. Bailey pointed out one of the interesting structures of verses 14 and 15. Uh, in this text, we find what is called an inverted arrangement that helps with the significance of being known by God and knowing God. Jesus says, uh, the first phrase, I know my own. The second phrase, my own know me. The third phrase, my father knows me. And the fourth phrase, I know my father. And it makes that circular pattern, if you will. The first and fourth statements, the good shepherd is the subject and he's doing the action. And in the second and third statements, the shepherd is the object to which the action is being done. And Jesus is communicating to the people, like, like I and the Father are in relationship with each other, so we can be in relationship as well. You, you are the sheep and I, I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The Father, God, he... He loves Jesus the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And as the Son shows not only his love for the Father, but his love for us, he's willing to lay down his life for us. Multiple times we see in this language uh, of this text this idea of self-sacrificing for the sheep. Uh, it, it's what is very interesting as you think about what that means, that Jesus is not speaking merely of his physical body, uh, he uses the Greek word posuka, if I said that correctly. I've got a few Greek experts in here that could correct me on that. But it's, it's really the word for soul, more than just body. It, it's, it's deeper and bigger than that. It's the very existence. And what Jesus is, is saying to the people is, is that I will lay down my very existence for you. Not just the bod bodily life, but, but existence of life for you. All because he desires a relationship with the sheep. Unlike the Pharisees who were strangers, Jesus, he knows the sheep, right? And in verse 18, Jesus emphasizes that this is something that is done as a choice. He willingly and lovingly obeyed his father and gave himself up for us. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. The Pharisees, instead of, of doing that, they looked to that which was not theirs. They were like the thieves and the robbers, but but Jesus owns the sheep. The Pharisees were the hired hands who ran away, but because Jesus loves the sheep, he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep, his very existence for the sheep, because he desires to have a relationship with the sheep, and that's us. He wants to have a relationship with you and with me. As the good shepherd, Jesus is relational. We also see that Jesus is inclusive. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, there are two different uh, terms John records that Jesus, is, Jesus uses here in this verse. One is sheep pen, and the other is flock. Uh, the word for sheep pen refers to this idea that we saw and talked about last week, right? That stone enclosure where the sheep would be kept for good and, and safekeeping, usually at night. Remember last week we talked about Jesus saying, I am the door, and he would be at the, the entrance there. The flock, however, is simply all the sheep that are gathered together outside of the enclosure. 
And, and this is a powerful message that Jesus was sending to the Pharisees and to all the Jews, and it was a, a message of hope to the Gentiles. Jesus is pointing out the formation of a new flock, a new community, which was to include the Jews and the believing Gentiles. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 3.28 and Colossians 3.11 that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, that we are all the same in Christ Jesus because of who Christ is. The Jewish sheep, that they had to be led out of the sheep pen before they could be united with the other sheep to form one flock. And this flock received protection and leadership and provision, but this time not from the enclosure where they were kept, but instead from the shepherd, from Jesus. Jesus was saying, I want you to understand that this is not about being enclosed. This is not about being in, in this one little space, uh, and that's not how you are protected. It's not about more rules. It's not about more laws or restrictions or regulations. It's about the shepherd, and it's about being close to me because I am the good shepherd. As one person pointed out, the Pharisees, with all their additional rules and restrictions, had excluded more sheep than they had enclosed and protected. Jesus' flock did not consist of moving Gentiles into the pen, but instead leading everyone out so they could have one shepherd, including them in one flock. And what Jesus was doing was trying to get them to see that there was something bigger coming, and it was the church his church, the capital C church of which we can all belong because of our faith and our relationship and the inclusion that Jesus has with all of his children. Third thing that we see as a good shepherd is that he calls to the sheep. One of the interesting things about sheep is that they cannot be driven. You can go on a cattle drive, right? You, you can get on a horse and push cattle to where you want them to go. But you cannot drive sheep. Sheep have to be led. They have to follow. They have to have someone to follow. And the way they are led, they follow a shepherd, and they usually follow the shepherd because of his voice. Um, if you want some additional insight on this, uh, this point, you can go to YouTube, and if you search Good Shepherd Calling His Sheep, you'll find this video. We don't have sound on purpose because... No one would listen to me for the next 30 seconds, and that might not be a bad thing. But anyway, there are several examples, if you go to YouTube, of, of how amazing this really is, how sheep only uh, respond to the shepherd. In, in this particular te uh, video that you're seeing, uh, there's this Norwegian shepherd. He begins calling into the fog, right? There's no sheep within sight. You, you can't see them. And he calls to the fog, and in Norwegian, he says, come on, come on. Come on, come on. And then as you see one, and then two, and then three, and then the whole herd starts coming to him because they heard his voice. They respond to his voice. And in, in this video clip, if you watch the whole thing, it's like three minutes. Before long, the entire flock is surrounding him. Why? Because they know his voice and they respond to him. It brings to mind the text from 1 Peter 2.9 that says, He called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The text we read last week, the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. 
We, as sheep, we're to know his voice. And we're to respond to his voice. He's calling out to us to trust him and to know him and to love him and to follow him as the good shepherd. But we have to know his voice. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, the interesting thing about this is I I looked for something that was like, oh, I would have never thought about. But but the applications are, are really straightforward, okay? So let's keep it simple, right? First thing, we need Jesus. As simple as it can be, we need Jesus. We need Jesus to not just be the good shepherd. We need Jesus to be our good shepherd. We need to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It starts when we respond to his call on our life, a call to be included in his kingdom and to walk in a relationship with him. And while that opportunity to respond is something that the Lord makes available to you all of the time, it's something we strive to offer to you each and every week here at PCC. And we do that every week because it's important that we realize that his word and his message and who he is demands a response from us. And we can choose to just stay where we are or we can choose to follow him or we can choose to reject it. We have that choice, but we're called to respond. The Lord invites you to respond to him, to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to be obedient to him in baptism, to walk in relationship with him. He's calling out to you. Our life, both now and eternity, It begins and it ends with Jesus. He is the good shepherd, and we are invited to follow him and to be the sheep in his flock. The second application that just seems really obvious is we also need each other. And I know that's something that I say a lot, I talk about that a lot, but the reason I do is because it's just so true. And yet even though we say it often and we talk about it, and I believe that it's true, many of us, we just continue to walk through life virtually alone, even if we're surrounded by a lot of people, we can be really alone. And as I considered people I know and I, and I looked in my own life, I concluded that one of the reasons we continue to walk alone is because of fear. Not the only reason, I, I get that, but, but to me it's, it's a common one that, that many people share. We avoid relationships. We avoid those good, healthy, honest, transparent, deep difficult, meaningful relationships because we fear being real. Because if we are honest about our addiction, or our anxiety, our marital struggles, our depression, our difficulties at work, the struggles with our children, or any number of things in our life, if we are honest about those things, we fear we will be rejected. If we're honest about our doubts about God and about faith and about life, we fear we will be isolated and we will be even more alone than we already feel. Sometimes we fear that if we share how good life is going and how we believe God is moving in our life and how happy we are to be married and how we find joy in our job and delight in our children, that we will be seen as some religious nut or someone who's out of touch with reality. We fear. We we fear being in life-changing relationships because we fear being known and being rejected. And yet, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made complete in love. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And there are many more scriptures that I could read and that, that I could point out that, that prove to us and show us time and time again that we were not created to go through this life alone. We need Jesus and we need each other as well. And so this morning, we invite you to respond. We want you to respond to the Lord, to accept him, and to do those things that we talk about every week. Or, or maybe you have a relationship with the Lord, and maybe today is the day that it's time for you to kind of join the flock and not just be wandering off by yourself, to join this community of believers that we're striving to make the Lord our pattern for our life. We're, we're striving to do those things, to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love each other with the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from Christ, to love as Christ loves us. We invite you to respond this morning. As the band leads us in this song of response, there's going to be members of the prayer team over by uh, the cross ready to talk to you about, about what it means to make Jesus your shepherd, what it means to belong here to, at PCC, what it means to discover and experience the life-changing love of Jesus. So as we sing about the amazing love that God has for us, would you allow that to wash over you and to respond to him this morning? Stand with me. Let's, uh, let's worship. Let's sing. Let's respond to the Lord together this morning.
I love where Jesus was willing to lay down his life so that we could have life, both now and for eternity. A love that says, I'll take you just as you are. All of our faults and all of our mess-ups and all of our hang-ups and all of those things. And he says, I love you. I love you enough that, that I give to you all I have, my very essence, my very life. And it's what we celebrate when we participate in communion. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass the trays, which are just symbols of his great love for us. His, the, the bread which represents his body, the juice which represents his blood, it, it, it's his love that's poured out for us so that we could worship him, so we could be his children, so we could be the sheep in his flock. And so we invite you as believers to partake, to participate in communion. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll be seated, and we'll participate in communion as we celebrate the great love God has for us. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the love, the love you give us, the love that's available. Father, help us to reach out to you, to receive, to celebrate you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father. Be with us now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.